Actually, atheists get a lot of stuff right. Carlo Broussard is next. Hello, and welcome to Focus, the Catholic Answers podcast for living, understanding, and defending your Catholic faith. I'm Cy Kellett, your host, and we're going to understand our faith by understanding what those who don't have faith have to say about God. This time, Carlo Broussard is here, and he's kind of got the soul of a philosopher. And if a soul of a philosopher is anything, it's fair. It's scrupulously fair about what the other person has to say. And so we wanted to look at some things that atheists have to say about God. Are they always wrong in the things they have to say about God? Here's what Carlo had to say. Carlo Broussard, author of Prepare the Way, Overcoming Obstacles to God, the Gospel, and the Church. Thanks for being here with us. Cy Kellett, thank you for having me. So as Catholics, we are obligated to believe that atheists are wrong about everything. Is that correct? Am eh. I? No, that's wrong? Wrong. Oh, we can <laughs> we can say, we can admit that they are right about some things. Indeed we can. And yeah. that's what we'll do in this episode. Sure talk thing. about what yeah. atheists get right. Yeah, wherever there is mm. truth, we want to affirm it. Okay. Uh, now we're not going to try to be exhaustive about everything that atheists nope. get right. We, you just picked some that are yeah. important ones sure. to talk about. And one of the things that you will see uh, again and again and again in the... You know, the comments section after a video or on the internet in various places is it's uh, this God of the gaps thing. These Christians, these believers, it's all God of the gaps and they're wrong. The This God of the gaps argument doesn't actually work. And, and, and maybe you could just say what the God of the gaps argument right. is and, and are they right about that, that it doesn't work? Yeah. So in as much as they reject the God of the gaps, we would agree. They are right in that. Now, what what is the God of the gaps? What is that referring to? Well, it's common among Christians within popular talk, right, within popular arguments for God's existence, that they will appeal to, say, the complexity of biological organisms and argue as follows. Since there's no naturalistic explanation that we can find for such complexity, therefore God. Yeah. Now, to be fair, whenever this is kind of this is known as the intelligent design an intelligent design argument. Right. And to be fair, whenever intelligent design arguments are given in more sophisticated arenas, uh, it's not quite as simple, right? right. When you get into uh, the depth of the arguments, they will try to present arguments that show that, say, an evolutionary explanation cannot account for such complexity, and they'll give their reasons for that. But it is true that you will hear Christians often pose this, make this kind of argument, appealing to the complexity of the universe or biological organisms and saying, well, we can't find any naturalistic explanation for this, so let's just plug the gap with God. So yeah. an atheist will say, well, that doesn't work because we may find scientific explanations for such complexity to provide a rationale for it, and that gap closes, and so there's no longer a need for God, right? Yeah, so for example, in the maybe in, the, say, the 18th century, you might have found a common argument 
for the existence of God to be the the complexity and interdependence of life on on earth right well there's no accounting for that except that god designed it and made right. it and then the the atheist will say and then in 1859 along comes, comes charles darwin and he evolution. says no there is another explanation right. for that and so therefore you know all you're doing when you make the god of the gaps argument is you just you just keep moving forward to the next thing that we don't know right. and you're saying god See, that's God. So that's kind of the 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 God of the gaps. The 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 complaint is it's a constantly moving target. You just keep right. moving. And, and the complaint is that I don't need to, even though we might not know what sort of naturalistic explanation we might have ignorance of what the naturalistic explanation is, it doesn't follow from that that God is the that we we can appeal to God to plug in that gap. And this right. is actually valid reasoning, and this is similar to this is another topic we're going to talk about, but the, from the Christian perspective in response to the problem of evil, we often say just because we don't know what a greater good might be that God would bring about from a permitted evil, it doesn't follow that there is no good. Okay. Well, that's parallel reasoning to what our atheist friends are saying. Hey, just because you don't know what a scientific or naturalistic explanation of this complexity might be, it doesn't follow from that, that there is no right. naturalistic explanation, therefore you need to appeal to God. So we agree with our atheist friends in reasoning in that way, because from a classical view of theism, we can acknowledge that there may be a naturalistic explanation for such complexity of what we find in our natural world that we're ignorant of, but that does not pose a threat to our belief in God and our knowledge that God exists, because whenever we reason to God's existence from classical arguments, sort of exemplified in Aquinas' five ways, God is the ultimate cause or explanation for the whole shebang, right? Yeah. So when we're looking for naturalistic explanations for some natural naturalistic cause, for some naturalistic effect, effect yeah. God is the cause of the whole natural system itself, right? Right. Because he is the source of being. So what our atheist friends and what some Christians in making this argument are looking at is what we call in philosophy secondary causes, right? Things within the natural universe. So there may be some secondary cause of some effect that, you know, we're looking at complexity of a biological organism that we're not aware of. But even if we were to find a secondary cause of this effect, some naturalistic explanation, the one who approaches God, who knows that God exists from classical reasoning and these classical arguments would say, yeah, God is the source of that secondary cause. Right. God is the source of that naturalistic explanation because whatever exists has its existence because of the primary cause who is God, the source of existence, the one who gives existence to all things that exist other than himself. So our atheist friends are right in as much as they reject the God of the gaps. We agree. We would reject that line of argumentation as well, in a sense, and appeal to the stronger line of reasoning and saying God is the ultimate source of whatever exists, whatever those naturalistic explanations may be. And this allows for science to flourish, right? right. It allows for us to discover how things have come to be within our universe, uh, allows for us to posit naturalistic explanations for some effects that we discover, we just recognize that those naturalistic causes or explanations are not 
ends in and of themselves. They're not the ultimate ground of reality. They're uh, pointing to the ultimate source of reality, who is God. Now, I say in a sense, uh, with regard to rejecting the God of the gaps, because for someone who is not trained in philosophy and someone who has not read through the literature, right, there's a form of rational belief in looking at the complexity of the world and then inferring from that, like, man, there's got to be some intelligent creator behind this, right? That's not, that's not entirely, that's not that's irrational. Not right, we yeah. would say it's not irrational. Uh, it's just not the strongest form of knowledge, right? right. It's a it's, probable knowledge. And for some, that's acceptable, right? Uh, because we, we believe lots of things based on probable knowledge. Where that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and, and there's nothing irrational with looking at the complexity and saying, oh, wow, there's probably a creator behind it. Now, when push comes to shove, is that the best sort of line of, is that the best line of thinking we should take to affirm that God exists? No, right. there's stronger lines of reasoning here. Uh, but if we're rejecting the God of the gaps with our atheist friends for trying to convince our atheist friends that they ought to be theists and believe in God, then we would agree with them. They're right. Yeah. yeah. So that might not be the most persuasive line of argumentation for them to turn away from their atheism and embrace theism. Uh, sometimes I think, however, that there might be a misunderstanding among atheists when when religious people use language differently than they might. And so someone might see the the complexity of an ant colony, right? And the religious person might go, uh, God is so good. The the creator is so amazing. And the the that that person is not asserting an a metaphysical argument right. at that point. Or, it, it, I mean, they might be, but in general, that's not what we're doing as religious people. And so it's also fair to say, I think, don't just assume that we're making a God of the gaps argument, that right. that I can't explain the complexity of that, so I'm just, all you know, I'm, I'm attributing that to God. All I'm saying is that the ultimate creator of all of this complexity, so that any all these secondary causes and effects sure. can, is God, and I'm, I give glory to him when I see sure. the magnificence of creation. Yeah, the affirmation of the beauty of the complexity and the intelligence behind it is, is assumed, right? It assumes that there is an intelligence, that there is a creator. Right. And so you're offering gratitude to the creator or praise to the creator, for the beauty of the complexity that we find and the intricacy that is present there. Um, so yeah, I think you make a good point that not every, it's not always a God of the gaps argument. It could very well be simply a Christian assuming that God exists and therefore giving him praise for such complexity. And uh, so first of our, of our affirmations of atheists is, you're right, the God of the gaps argument is a bad argument. <laughs> right, yeah, they reject the God of the gaps. Uh, yeah, so there's, you know, one idea that comes to mind is they're rejecting what William Blake, a, um, I think a 17th, uh, 18th, oh, the, late 18th, 19th century poet. Tiger, tiger, burning bright. Uh, the yeah. noble, noble daddy, right? He has a poem entitled Noble Daddy, oh. where he's critiquing God's silence in the face of suffering. And it's entitled Noble Daddy. And there's one professor of a lecture that I listened to one time where he's referring to this God of the gaps as nobody's daddy, right? It's yeah. a noble daddy. So in as much as the atheists reject this understanding of divinity, we reject it as well. And even 
embedded in this rejection of the God of the gaps often is embedded the rejection of a concept of a divinity that is um, sort of tinkering with things within the natural world where there's really no secondary causality. So in as much as that concept of divinity might be um, embedded in this thinking, we would reject that, reject that as well. If the view of divinity is akin to a watchmaker who imposes some sort of order oh, design yeah. from the outside on some stuff that has no design in it inherently, like right. within itself, whereas the classical understanding of God is that, yes, God does give the order for the natural things in the world, but those natural things have that order in and of themselves given the types of things that they are. The material stuff that's put together to make my coffee in the morning for the coffee pot those material things are not ordered in any way to making coffee. That's an order that intelligent beings impose upon those material things, yes, right? right. And often in the intelligent design community and ways of thinking about the natural world, it's this imposed order that's being yes. thought of. Right. And insofar as an atheist is rejecting the God of the gaps and that concept of divinity, we reject that as well because we recognize Things within the natural world, they have inherent ordering, right, towards certain goals and towards certain ends to where it's not merely imposed from the outside. Uh, we would say, as classical theists, that that order in natural things has its order because of God, right? Yes. But those things have it really. In themselves. Right, yeah, in themselves. Right. And the technical jargon for our viewers, if they're interested, is the difference is intrinsic teleology, right? Teleology, the telos, the end, the go, that inheres within the thing, as opposed to extrinsic tele teleology, where it's an order that's simply imposed from the outside, right. and the thing doesn't have it in any way. Be like a puppeteer running Correct. the world, right. yeah. All right, this one I think is um, more difficult in, in many ways. As a matter of fact, this might be the most uh, difficult one. Yeah. Um, so the atheists might argue uh, about evil, that evil is evidence against God who ought to exclude all evil. Right. Therefore, if there's evil and God ought to exclude all evil, therefore no God. And, and we would agree. So seeing... Really? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, you just kind of surprised me right? where you right. agreed right there. Yeah, okay. So seeing the problem of evil yeah. as evidence against a God who ought to preclude all evil, they are right. If, oh, I see. But If our concept of divinity yeah, yeah. or of God is one such that they, he or this reality, God, ought to preclude all evil, if that is the case, if that's the concept of divinity we have in mind, then evil would serve as evidence against such a God, against the existence of such a God. Okay, so this is this is a good argument against a particular type of God. That is correct. Oh, I yes. gotcha. I never thought of it that way. Okay. And so insofar as they argue evil is evidence against God— understanding God as a God who ought to preclude all evil, they're correct. But, but, but where, they, where, where it goes wrong, our response would be, well, that's nobody's daddy. That's a nobo daddy, uh -huh. right? Because the classical understanding of God is that God is not one such that he ought or has a duty 
or is bound in justice to himself or to creatures to preclude all evil, whether it be natural evil or moral evil. And here's the reasoning behind that, so here's the rationale. Let's take natural evil first, right? Like about oh, earthquake or earthquake yeah. or us, even us suffering, suffering some sort of sure. physical ailment. Yeah. That's part and parcel of the material world, right? So whenever you have a material world, the good of one thing is going to curtail the good of another. The flourishing of the lion is going to be bad for the gazelle, right? Right. right. Um, the good of the virus, <laughs> yeah, bad for the whole world. Bad for the whole world. <laughs> yeah. Bad for our body. That's part and parcel of the material world, where the good thing of one, th the good of one thing is going to curtail the good of another. You're also going to have defects within the material world. Things are going to fall short of how they ought to function and flourish as material things. You're going to have things breaking apart because all the material things are made up of parts and as much as made up parts of parts, they're going to break apart. That's called death, right? Yeah. So it's part and parcel of the material world that you're going to have these natural evils. So in light of that, to preclude such natural evils, to prevent such natural evils would be something over and above the material, the nature of the material things. That's called grace. That's called a miracle. So for God to perpetually prevent natural evil mm -hmm. would require a miracle. The same is true even for the prevention of moral evil. Inasmuch as we are not our own end goal, like we're not God, right? God, only God, God alone is his ultimate end himself. Right. He's the ultimate goal. He himself is his own perfection, right? But for us as creatures, our perfection is in something other than ourselves, right? namely God. So given that reality, Sai, yeah, we by nature are subject to missing the mark with regard to our perfection and our happiness as rational uh, beings. Yeah, because it's outside of ourselves. So we're yeah. going to have to direct ourselves, right, yeah. to achieve this ultimate goal of perfection and possessing the ultimate good, who is God. In order for us as rational creatures to be preserved from moral evil or moral defect, that would require something over and above our nature as finite rational beings, as creature, creaturely rational beings. Right. So in order for God to preserve us, not only from natural evil, that would require something over and above our nature and thus a miracle, something that is not due to us. For God to preserve us from moral evil is something over and above our nature, i.e. a miracle, yes. and thus something not due to us. So the bottom line is this, if God's preservation from, of, of us from all natural evil and God's preservation from all moral evil requires mir a miracle, miraculous activity, well then that means that sort of action on the part of God, it's not due to us, right? No. So he's not bound he in justice. That is right. He is not bound in justice to himself, nor to us as creatures, whether we're talking about natural evil or moral evil, to preserve and prevent all natural evil and all moral evil. So could I, can I make an analogy and see if this works for you? Um, I, I, part of my nature is that I have to eat. So right. I have to go in search of food. Correct. If I'm uh, one of the Hebrews wandering in the desert, God can give me manna from heaven. 
But God's not under an obligation to give me manna that is from correct. heaven, and he hasn't violated my nature by making me go find my own food. Correct. To permit the defect, to permit the hunger, to permit the thirst, yeah. right, is something that is not inconsistent with God's goodness, because God... Oh, now this is a, a further step here. No, this is yeah. to, to permit whatever hunger you're experiencing. Uh, oh, right? yeah, to permit the hunger, right, To permit yes. the, even the hunger itself, yeah. right? Uh, to go out and find the food, and even for you to permit not to find the food, right? Yeah. Or to permit the thirst itself, the right. lack of satisfaction, right? Yes. And even to permit you to not find the satisfaction of the thirst, right? Yeah. That permission is not inconsistent with God's goodness because God is not bound in justice himself to give that which is over and above what is required for us as human beings. So he's not bound to give us um, a miracle, basically. And if he's not bound to give us a miracle to permit the evil, whatever that may be, natural or moral, it's not inconsistent with his goodness. Right, so therefore it... he ought not to say that he's God not, there's no ought, ought involved to preclude the evil or should preclude the evil, that would imply that God is bound in justice to himself or to the creature to give us those miracles, but he's not. But this is more, um, like it's almost more convincing as a, as a cry than it is as an argument, which is why would, like, I don't believe in God because why would he allow this? You know, right. like it's, and that's it's, the uh, different question. Okay. And so if the question is why God permits this evil or that evil, we're in the mystery, we're in the darkness of mystery. You know, Thomas Aquinas would ultimately say it's the divine will. And oh, we do okay. not know the reason why this permitted evil or why that permitted evil will perhaps God will reveal that to us when we enter into heaven in the beatific vision. But that he permits this evil or that evil is not contrary to his goodness because he's not bound in justice to himself or to the creature to permit this evil or that evil, right. whether we're talking about natural evil or moral evil. So the bottom line is he's basically relating to us according to the natures that he gave us, that he created us with, which means we're defectible creatures, yeah. right? We're subject to natural to experiencing natural evils, and we're subject to moral defect, right. moral evils. And so for God to permit such evils, it's not contrary to his goodness because he's not bound to give us that which is over and above our natures. So, so the existence of evil is not an argument against God. It is an argument against a certain type of God. It's an argument uh, against a God who ought to preclude all evil. Right, yeah. But once we understand who God really is, we understand that God is not one such that he ought to. Right. Or should it, it's, or it's bound akin, in justice to prevent all evil. It would be akin to arguing uh, God um, owes me a better world than this. If there if there were a God, He would owe me a better world than this. And the the response to that is He actually doesn't owe you a better That's world. Correct. He may even want for you a better world. We don't know what His reasoning is, but He doesn't owe it to you. It's That's not an correct. argument against His existence to say He didn't give you the world that you like the best. Right. What is over and above our natures, right, as human beings is a grace, is a miracle, right? Yeah. So to preserve us from suffering, that would be a miracle. To preserve us from sin, that would be a miracle. But God is not bound 
to give us a miracle. He does not owe us a miracle, preservation from natural evil, preservation from moral evil. And so for him to permit such evils, natural evil, moral evil, it's not contrary to his goodness but it's, or his justice. It seems like the atheist and the believer can just totally agree on one thing. We don't understand why God allows this. Amen. Like we, 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 we're not saying to the, to the unbeliever, well, we get it. We understand it. That's why we have faith in God. We're saying we have faith in God and we don't know the answer to this. All we can, what we can say is that given what we know about God being pure goodness, and even in light of Christian revelation, yeah. that there will be a greater good for which God permits the evil. There might be some greater good for the individual. There might be a greater good of the whole of the created order that this permitted evil has a role to play in. Mm-hmm. That there will be a greater good, we can know. But what that is precisely, we simply don't know. We bow in humility there. And there's nothing wrong with that because we would expect not to know what the greater goods or the Uh, reasons for the infinite creator are for some permitted evil. All we, what we can know is that this permitted evil or that permitted evil is not contrary to his justice or his goodness. And therefore such evils, whether natural or moral, Mm -hmm. are not evidence against God's existence. Okay. um, Now I had a very good friend, one of the kindest people I've ever known. And he's an atheist. Right. And I'm wondering, because I I think that he might be an actual argument against the existence of God, because we do actually hear the argument, people can be good without God. And in in this man's case, he seems really good, and he doesn't believe in God. Right. Is that a good argument against God? Well, it all depends on what you mean to be good and moral without God. Okay. Okay. So... If you mean that our atheist friend, your atheist friend, can be a good human being without belief in God, then that would be correct. We would agree. Because there is, a, uh, there is an order of good, right, inscribed within our human natures that our intellects, our minds are able to discover and to know. And when we come to discover that order of good inscribed in our nature, and we behave and act and live in a way that's consistent with what is good for us as human beings, that's called a good moral life. So this is what we call the natural moral law. St. Paul says, even the Gentiles are able to know the law written on their hearts, right? Even though they don't have the law revealed to them in the Ten Commandments. So to some extent, your atheist friend can recognize certain goods for us insofar as we're human beings and for him as a human being, pursue those goods and live in a way that's consistent with those goods. And that be constant and he be constituted as a good human being, living a good moral life, even though he's not acknowledging God's existence. So our atheist friends would be right insofar as they can say they can be a good moral person without belief in God. You don't need to have explicit belief in God in order to live in a way that's consistent with what is good for us as human beings, right? And that's basically morality. Do good, avoid evil. How do we know what's good for us? How do we know what's evil for us? We look at our nature as human beings. We look at the goals for which our powers are directed. So 
to use one example, an atheist can recognize that contraceptive sex, right, or same-sex sexual activity is immoral activity because these are activities that are inconsistent with what's good for us as human beings, right? An atheist can recognize that lying is immoral and a human being ought to never lie. Why? Because such activity, such behavior is inconsistent with what's good for us as human beings, namely using our powers and our faculties in accord with what they're naturally ordered to or ordained for. Our atheist friends can recognize all of this. And so in as much as they live in, in accord with that order of goodness, this natural moral law, they would be living a good moral life, even though they don't have the explicit belief in God. Now, if I can be a good moral person without God means that God is entirely irrelevant to morality, well, then that is where we would have some qualms with. That's what we would have some qualms with. That's uh, yeah. where we would want to offer a response and say, well, even though you can live according to the order of good, discoverable by reason and the natural moral law without explicit belief in God, that doesn't mean God is not relevant to morality. So not least of which because the first step in being a good human being is to exist. And you had nothing to do with that. <laughs> that is correct. Yeah. <laughs> right. So so think about this. The, the primary reason why God cannot be irrelevant to morality is yeah. because the very nature, namely our human nature, right. in which there's an order of goodness, right, that we can discover, like right. what's good for me as a human being, what's not good for me as a human being, and I need to behave in a way that's consistent with what's good for me and avoid behaviors that's not consistent with what's good for me. That nature itself... <laughs> has an ultimate explanation, has a cause of it. It's very existence that I exist with this nature has its ultimate explanation in the primary cause who is God, right? So God is the one who is responsible for that which determines what is good for me, namely the nature that I have as a human being. So he's ultimately the source of morality. Now, I do not need explicit knowledge of God to discover that code or that standard of morality, but God is necessary for its very existence. Yeah, Does right. that make sense? Yes, right, right. And we could even argue for the for the obligation that we experience subjectively in, in pursuing what we know to be good and avoiding what we know to be bad. We call that conscience, right? That driving force within our conscience consciousness, right? Within our very selves, within our heart, like, I recognize this to be good. Yeah, I need to pursue it. Or I recognize this to be bad. I need to avoid it. Whether I'm right or wrong about my recognition and the judgment. Sure, sure. Right? You could make a mistake. That's uh, correct. Right. But the obligation itself, like, man, that's a bad thing. I shouldn't do it, right? That obligation, we could argue, finds its source in God himself. So these are two ways in which God would be ultimately relevant to morality, even though explicit belief in God would not be an absolute requirement for living a good moral life, right? Yeah. I think we'll, the, the, there's a couple more here, but I think we'll save them. Maybe we'll do okay. an episode that says what atheists get right about Christian uh, people or about, about Christianity. Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we'll, we'll save those because I, I think that's enough for this time. But we, sure. we can affirm that the atheist who says um, the God of the gaps argument is not a proof of God and you should avoid making it a proof of God. We're down with that. Correct. We agree with that. You got to remind me the second one. The second one was seeing oh, evil. The evil as evidence against a God who ought to preclude all evil. Right. We would agree right. with them on that. Yeah. 
where we disagree is God is not a God such that he ought right. to preclude all evil because he's not bound in justice to himself or to creation to preclude all evil, whether natural or moral. And so, but so the, the, and this one, the person who says, I just couldn't believe in a God who would allow all of this, we might say, well, that's pretty reasonable up to a point, but there's a way in which you, you if you, um, and certainly lacking any experience of God's love or ha right. having, then we might we might not trust that God is good and exists given all of this. But that's not actually an argument. It's more of a of a an emotional a, response. A, yeah. yeah, yeah. So philosophers will often distinguish between the intellectual problem. That's right. what we've been dealing with here. Yeah, and the emotional problem. Where but we certainly understand the person who correct. says, "I just couldn't believe in God." But we but there's a step beyond that that you might go. And I mean, that's where as a Christian. I personally go to the cross of Jesus Christ. I right, say that well, a God that would right. do that. We would appeal to I, divine revelation yeah. and see what divine revelation has to offer us to at least infuse purpose and meaning within our suffering, right? right? So that we're not gripped by that death grip of despair. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, finally, the person who says, I don't need to believe in God because people can be good without God. We affirm Yes, many people are without explicit belief without, in God. Right, yeah. You can be good, but that does not mean qualification there, right? Yeah. That does not mean that God is irrelevant to morality. Yeah. And sometimes it's kind of put this way like um well, if you need God to tell you what to do, like you're, you know, I don't know, like you're immature or something. I and I feel like I don't really have an argument against that one because I am one of those people who does need God to tell him what to do. Like, <laughs> I need that help. Well, but, <laughs> this actually this actually gets to something that's worth considering is that although it is possible for us to come to know what is good for us as human beings yeah. by looking at our nature as human beings, what's going to perfect us, the natural moral law, it is difficult to come to that knowledge. There is difficulty involved. Oh, that's right, right. And yeah. it is mixed up with error. Hence, as St. Thomas Aquinas would say, the reason why God even divinely reveals yeah. such truths that we can know about human behavior and what we ought to do and what ought not to do. For example, the, God reveals to us that we're not to commit murder. Right? That's a revealed truth, that God commands us not to commit murder. That doesn't mean we couldn't figure that out on our own, but, he, but he makes it easier on us by Amen. also commanding it. Yes. So yeah. wherever there's a need for a crutch, you use the crutch, right? Yeah. There's a sense in which a crutch can be good if you're broken, right? Yeah. Well, that, given, right. Exactly. Given the fall, our intellects are darkened. We know that from Christian revelation. And so although the intellect is still functioning in a way that it can come to know these things, there's some difficulty involved and we kind to mess things up every once in a while. And so God gives us some help through that supernatural revelation, the Ten Commandments, which is basically an expression in a supernatural way right. of what we can already come to know by examining our human nature yeah. and a confirmation of what we might have arrived at by reason alone, yeah. and looking at the order of good inscribed in nature of the natural moral. And also in, in the case of certain things, that are temptations to us, like thou shalt not commit adultery, 
a little reinforcement not bad for us. Amen. You know, that, like Amen. We, we might argue ourselves out of that. Try like, to rationalize yeah, it. Yeah. Like maybe I was wrong about that, but I'm going to just commit a little <laughs> adultery. Whereas if it's given to us in addition by to our God, reason, by it's given to us by God, we, we go, wow. Well, and I, it I helps can't. us see that by violating yeah. the natural order, the natural moral law, we're, it's not merely a sin or a violation of reason, yeah. but it's actually a sin against the one who is the source of our reason. Right. The ultimate standard, namely God himself, and this is what we call sin. It's an offense against God, right? So it's not just an offense against nature. It's, a, it's an offense against the one who created the nature, and that's God himself. Carlo, thanks. Let's do um, uh, things atheists get right about Christianity next I'll time. get on it, sir. Okay, good. Very good. Thanks, Carlo. <laughs> God bless you. You too. One of the things that all honest people have in common is the frequent use of the phrase, I don't know. And that's why we rely on dialogue with one another to find out, to go deeper, to be challenged in those things that we think or maybe assume are true. And there are lots of us Christians, lots of believers who use bad arguments in defense of God's existence. That doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It means that we need to work on better arguments. And if you are an atheist person and you've engaged with this video, we'd love to have dialogue with you. Send us an email, focus at catholic.com. We're always open to ideas for new episodes, maybe people that you would like to see uh, covered on this program, focus at catholic.com. If you'd like to support us financially, you can do so by going to give catholic.com. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe and hit that little bell down there. That way you'll be notified when new episodes are available. And if you're listening on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or one of the other podcast services, if you like and subscribe, then you'll be notified when new episodes are available. And if you got it in you, maybe a little five-star review, a few nice words, that will help to grow Catholic Answers Focus. I'm Cy Kellett, your host. We'll see you next time, God willing, right here on Catholic Answers Focus. Catholic Answers Focus.